My wife, Debbie, loves to play Lego. And of course, it's been a long, long time since she's played it with it. I want to guess it would be at least two or three weeks. Now, if I listen carefully, I think I, I, think I can hear you laughing. But when she played with it, she would build elaborate structures and houses, but it would all begin by putting down a foundational base plate in which you would build your structure and lock the structure in so she could build those structures tall and strong. The foundational base plate of Christianity is the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is still dead, all of Christianity falls apart. Right now, we're captivated by COVID-19. But I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about the greatest pandemic this world has ever experienced. It's an infection that has literally touched every single one of us without exception. And because of this pandemic, every one of us is completely isolated from everything that matters. The thing about this pandemic as well is there's literally no vaccine that's available. Not possible. Never will be. But the good news, and this is incredibly good news, is that there's a cure that's available. A cure that you have to choose to receive. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Today is the day of redemption. And at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose to receive that cure. Again, I want to say, if Jesus is still dead, Christianity falls apart. Christianity is about faith, just like every thought system the world has ever come up with. But at its roots, it's based in fact. It's faith in a fact. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I invite you to open it up to the fourth gospel, the fourth book in the New Testament, to John chapter 19. And we've been doing this big series of messages called Nearest and Dearest, and it's written uh, by Jesus' best friend, John. And he says, listen, I want to talk to you about how to have uh, a, a very high regard for Jesus, a, a type of reverence for Jesus, but also a best friend kind of relationship with him. So we're going to begin reading in chapter 19, verse 38. And it says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
And so this is a legal thing. This is a government thing. And so you have Joseph and you have Nick at night and they come to Pilate, the governor, and they secure permission to receive the body, the dead body of Jesus, and they bury him. And if you know the story at all, you know that all through the previous night, he's been falsely arrested. They've paid off people to lie about him. He's been beaten and abused all night long. At the end of that night, they have him flogged, which is a particularly vicious type of whipping, which actually rips chunks of flesh off a person's back. Then they execute him by crucifixion, which involves nailing him through the sensitive nerve centers in the hands and the feet. And they execute him this way. And then to make sure he's dead, one of the guys that executed people for a living, a a professional type of guy, uses a spear and jabs him under the ribs and punctures his heart sack so that a mixture of water and blood flow out. Then they lay his body in this rock tomb, it says. They put a huge stone in front of it And because it's a legal thing, a government thing, they seal the tomb and then they place a Roman guard to protect the tomb. He receives no medical attention for three days. So let's just state the incredibly obvious. Jesus is dead. And it's a legal thing. It's a government thing. It's all papered up. It's professional. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Do you know there are four major world religions that are founded by a person. And for three of those four, we know exactly where the founder was buried. The Jewish people, for example, trace their heritage back to prophet Abraham, who is buried in Hebron. And I've been to that site. And these, these, these three people all have holy sites or shrines where people come and visit. I've been to Hebron. I've seen the site of his burial. For Buddhism, it was founded by Buddha, and he is buried in India. For Islam, the founder of Islam is Muhammad, and he is buried in Saudi Arabia. And so you can go to the sites of these people where they were buried. The fourth one does not have an established site. There's nowhere you can go and know for sure this was where the founder was buried. And that's because Jesus only used his site on a very temporary basis, like a long weekend. And then he walked away after three days. And so I've been to the different sites. They say, well, he might have been buried over there, or he might have been buried over here, or he might have been buried there. We're not really sure. That's because Jesus walked away after three days. Whenever someone famous dies, whether it was Princess Diana a few years ago, or a prime minister, or a president, there's a place you can go and visit the site of their burial. There's nothing for Jesus because he walked away. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 1 through 8. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary 
is honored, the first person to see the empty tomb. And really, all women are honored through this. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But she sees that the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled back, and she runs to get Peter and John, the disciple that Jesus loved. We talked about this earlier in the service, in the series, rather. Did you know that Jesus loves you just like he loved his best friend, John? He loves you and he wants the same kind of relationship that he had with John. He wants that kind of relationship with you. Verses three through seven. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked up at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And so John gets there first. I don't know if he could run faster than Peter or he was younger or whatever the case is. But he gets to the entrance of the tomb and he hesitates. Well, Peter comes charging up, and in typical Peter form, which you kind of got to love about him, which sometimes gets him into trouble, he acts first and he thinks later. He arrives and he just charges right into the tomb and looks around. And he finds it's empty, and all the grave clothes are there, and the, 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 the claws that were wrapped around Jesus' face are neatly folded up, which is another miracle in and of itself, a man who folds something. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's gotten up of the place where he's laid, and he makes his bed, and he leaves the tomb. And then something very significant as well takes place in verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, this is John, Jesus' best friend, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Can I just say to you again, if you have not yet believed in Jesus, if you've not yet allowed him to change your life, today is the day you can believe, just like John. And I will give you an opportunity, an invitation to do that at the end of this talk. Because he wants a very personal, life-giving, life-changing relationship with you. So the light bulb goes on for John. And he says, you know, I remember prior to these things taking place, Jesus was always talking about this, that he was going to die in our place for our sins, and he was going to rise from the dead, but I didn't really understand it, and I don't perhaps totally understand it now, but I get it, and I remember what he said, and I choose to believe. I choose to believe. It's a choice each one, is, each one of us is invited to make. So the first one that had arrived there was a woman, and this is significant because in our culture, that's not a big deal. We just kind of go, well, uh, the early bird gets the worm or whatever, and she got up early and she got there first. Good for her. N you know, what's the big deal? It was a huge deal in that culture. 
Because women at that time in history, in that place in history, were not given the same legal recognition, the same legal rights as men. They weren't, for example, allowed to testify in court. And so if this had been some elaborate hoax, some elaborate fabrication, which of course it wasn't, it was a fact, but if it was some elaborate fabrication, the last thing they would have done was say a woman was there first. In that culture, it would have weakened the argument, not strengthened it. And so you know they're just telling it like it is. It's just the unvarnished truth. She was the first one there, so we're telling you the facts. Well, shortly after that, the men arrived there. And these are men, let me just tell you a little bit about them. These are men who have given up their careers. They were part of a successful family business that had many assets, that had a number of hired men working for them. They'd stepped aside from, from this business and they had committed themselves for three years to serve alongside Jesus. They helped the poor. They were involved in, in miracles and people being healed. They listened to Jesus teach. They saw Jesus actually live this stuff out in totality. They were deeply devoted religious men. Now this is significant because there is not a chance on a whim they would have just said, hey, let's start worshiping a new God. That just didn't happen back then. They had been raised since they were little children to believe in Jehovah God. They would not have just said, let's go ahead and worship a, a new God on a whim. Not a chance. And we know that they sacrificed everything for this truth. We know, for example, that Peter was crucified upside down. A horrible way to die because of his belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they all got there, the stone was rolled away. And, and this is significant too because at that time in history, Roman guards, if you were found to be derelict in your duty, if you slept on the job or something like that, you were either tortured or executed. And so these guys were highly motivated to do a good job. And so just try to imagine a setting like in our era. It would be kind of like this. You're driving along and you come upon a scene and there's the yellow police tape all around it. And the tape says, do not cross this line. But what would be a little different is standing on the other side of the line of the yellow tape would be armed police officers with their hands on their weapons, with their hands on their shotgun. And there would be big signs and they would say, if you cross this line, we have been authorized to shoot to kill, no questions asked. If you messed with the Romans back then, you were dead. You were dead. We know that Jesus went through all that he went through for you. This is very significant. Let me read uh, a text that was written some 700 years before Jesus was alive, before crucifixion was even invented, that talks about his death and resurrection. Listen to what it says from Isaiah chapter 53. Yet it was God's will to crush him, speaking of Jesus, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, people like us, 
People that have come to faith in Jesus, been changed by Jesus, and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He bore my sin. He bore your sin. He bore our iniquities and paid the penalty for our choices. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And we see that in verse 10 and 11. It says it pro, he will prolong his days and he will see the light of life. He did all of this for you. And this is a very personal thing. We know from scripture we can never, ever, ever make ourselves good enough for God. That our sin, our iniquities that are talked about in that passage cause this irreparable gap between ourselves and holy God. And this is why Jesus gave his life for you. This is why he instituted this loving plan for you. And he did this for you by name. Very personally. Saw your face when he did it. Said your name. Now let me just say that if this is true, if all this is true, this is the most staggering claim of history. Nothing else even begins to come close. That Jesus lived. That Jesus died. That Jesus was buried for three days. That Jesus rose from the dead. That he conquered sin and death. This truth has literally changed the lives of billions of people. All of history has been changed by these objective facts. And you can't just lightly dismiss that. I don't think you can with, I know better than all of them. And if you don't believe this, if you don't subscribe to this, I just challenge you to check it out. And tell me how it all happened if this isn't objective truth. Well, one of those that did check it out was a guy named Josephus. And Josephus was an ancient professional historian who lived in and around the time of Jesus. And by all accounts in the books that he wrote, he was not a follower of Jesus, but he was commissioned by the Roman authorities to check this out. And so his writings would be considered what's called extra-biblical, not part of the text of Scripture. And after Jesus' resurrection, Christianity is expanding rapidly. And there's a buzz in the Roman Empire. It's trending everywhere. What's happening down in that dusty little country down there, southeast of us? And so they say to Josephus, we want you to check it out as a professional, as a historian. Who was this guy? Who are his followers? What do they believe? And so Josephus researches and he writes not long after that about uh, the, the resurrection and the actions of Jesus in the writings called the Jewish Antiquities. And he writes this. There lived Jesus, 
a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he is one who wrought surprising feats, and he means miracles by that, and was a teacher of such people that accept the truth gladly. He went over many of the Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ, the anointed one of God. When Pilate, and so, you know, he's He's talking about all these historically verifiable individuals and times. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused of men of the highest standard among us, says he is God, had condemned him to be crucified, which we know is exactly what happened, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. So let's just summarize Joe for a second. He's saying... There's this guy named Jesus, he did a lot of teaching, he did these miracles, he got himself into trouble for saying that he was God. The political leader, Pilate, condemned him to death because there was people around him who squeezed Pilate politically and had Jesus taken out. But his followers didn't change their mind. In fact, they continued to love him. And in fact, they were even more committed to Jesus after this. Why is that? Josephus writes, On the third day, he appeared to them restored to life. This is why we stick by the stuff. This is why they stuck by the stuff. And I know that the text from Josephus is contested There's always a critic that will contest these things. Nothing else is new. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that after Jesus rose from the dead, for 40 days, he appeared to, he interacted with groups of varying sizes of people, sometimes as much as 500 people at a time. And if you track these people through history, you know that almost all of them went through incredible suffering, imprisonment, and often horrible deaths because of their belief in the resurrection. Why would they die for a lie? Nobody willingly goes through a torturous death for something they know is simply a metaphor or a lie. Some people will actually suggest that the resurrection is just a metaphor. It's just a pleasant idea. People don't go through a horrible experience and a horrible death for a pleasant idea that they know to be a lie. If you want to read more about this, uh, there's a lot of detailed historical data about it. You could read a couple of books. One by N.T. Wright, he's a Cambridge professor. He wrote 800 plus pages on the historicity of this. It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Or you could read The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Habernas and Lacona. They wrote 350 pages. Why do I tell you all this? The most significant person in the history of the world is Jesus Christ. The most significant event in the history of the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these things all revolve around the fact that you and I are going to die. And we are going to die apart from Jesus, completely isolated from God. Because of the pandemic of sin that infects every one of us without exception. 
And scripture teaches us because of these choices, because of this pandemic, because of this infection, I am going to die apart from God because I have turned my back on him and I am completely separated from a holy God. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus provided a way forward. Not a vaccine to prevent the infection, but rather an absolute cure for the infection. This is why he died in our place. This is why he paid the penalty for our sin. This is why he conquered sin and he conquered death for eternity through the resurrection. He promises in scripture to return one day and resurrect each one of us. And so he offers relationship with God, a relationship that impacts us every day and for all eternity. So with all my heart, I want you to belong to Jesus. With all my heart, I want you to trust Jesus. With all my heart, I want you to love Jesus. I want you to be surrendered to Jesus. Just understand, this is not a casual relationship. It's an all or nothing kind of relationship. And so there's three ways I'm going to invite you to respond today and see if you find yourself in one of these three categories. The first one would be, you say, well, I'm not really sure about this stuff, Scott, but I will make a commitment to check this resurrection stuff out. I'll read some of that material. I'll check the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. If that's your commitment today, I'm going to ask you to put three thumbs up emojis in the column that's running beside the feed that you're watching. That will be an indication to God, to us, that you're going to check this stuff out. Second type of reaction to this is, if you've already believed the truth of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and you've given your life to Christ and he's forgiven your sin, but you've been holding back in some area of your life and there's an area of your life that you've just decided not to go in all in with Jesus and now you say, you know, I, I just want the power of the resurrection to touch that area of my life. And sometimes we'll use language like this, I'm just going to recommit myself in this area or I'm going to go deeper with Jesus or be more deeply committed to Christ. And I'm going to say, based on who I am in Christ, I'm going to let Jesus chart a new path for me in this area of life. If that's your commitment, two thumbs up emojis. One, two. Then we'll know that's your commitment. And finally, if you're there and you say, well, I've never received Jesus. I've never received the cure that he provided for each one of us, but I want to today. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. And I understand that there's nothing I can do to earn a right or a healthy relationship with, the, with God that I'm separated from holy God by my sin. I understand these things, but I also understand that information alone will never save me. And so today, I'm going to choose to receive Christ. I'm going to choose to receive the cure I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive my sin. I'm going to invite him to be my savior, to be the Lord, the one in charge of my life, and I will follow him. If you are willing to do that today, indicate that to God, to us, by putting one thumbs up emoji. So let me explain how we're going to go forward so you can receive Christ. In a moment, I'm going to ask everyone in the room where you are to bow your head and close your eyes. And 
I just say to you, this is a holy moment, a very serious moment. So I invite everyone to do that. And then if you're going to receive Christ today, if you're going to give us the one thumbs up emoji, I will pray. I invite you to follow after me. You can either pray out loud or just pray in your head. And then I'm going to ask you after that to go and tell at least one other person. The Bible encourages us to do this. It will help confirm what has happened. And then, you know, you give us the thumbs up emoji. You might want to send us an email at info at udac.ca or call us and let us know, 403-381-7171. And if you want, the online pastor will respond to you and they will offer you a digital package to help you grow in your new relationship with Christ. Also in that digital package, if let's say, for example, your child is interested in receiving Christ and you're not sure how to do that, Pastor Justine has put a package on that page to help you walk them through as well. We won't put you on some mailing list or something like that, but we invite you to respond and receive this information on how to grow in Christ. Three thumbs up means I'll check this stuff out. Two thumbs up means I'm recommitting myself. I'm going to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. One thumbs up means I'm praying to receive Christ today. Let's bow together in prayer. And I invite everyone to close their eyes and bow their head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and gave your life for me on the cross. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin based on your work on the cross. I receive you as my personal Savior. I also Lord Jesus, surrender my life to you. I give you freedom to to lead me, to change me, to set the agenda, to set the, really the way forward in my life. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you will touch me every day and for all eternity. And I pray this now, in Jesus' precious name, amen. May God bless and keep you as you walk with him.